Hi, this is Robert Furrow and welcome to TruthQuest Q&A, where we take questions and look at them through the light of Scripture. Our desire is to know what the Bible has to say so we can know what to believe, not to try to approach the Bible just to back up what we believe. The Bible says of the Bereans that they were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians because they received the Word of God with all joy, but they searched the Scriptures to see if these things were true. We want to make sure that we are not deceived, so we seek the things that we find in the pages of Scripture. We want to welcome you guys here today, and I had a little bit of technical difficulty, so I wasn't able to get the first question loaded, but the first question that we have today is, is there a partial rapture, and does the Bible support it? So, a partial rapture is the idea that if you are carnal, or if you don't have things right with Christ, when the rapture of the church happens, then you're left behind. Now, that can be an absolutely frightening thought, to be left behind. When I was a kid, there was a song that was popular. I say a kid, in the, in the 70s, I was a teenager. There was a popular song out called, You've Been Left Behind. The, um, I'm trying to remember the exact words to the song, um, but they went something like, um, uh, something about, you know, uh, life was filled with guns and wars and everyone got scattered on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Uh, the father spoke, the demons died, the son has come and you've been left behind. And that is an absolutely terrifying thought. The idea that one of us would be left behind. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that there are some that are saved as if through fire. They don't have any rewards. Their, their, their motives are wrong. When they were judged, it was burned up, but they made it into heaven as it were through fire. And so, and, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I wish I could write to you as to spiritual, but you're not, you are carnal. And yet the, the Corinthians, fell behind in no spiritual gifts. I do think there are going to be those who believe that they are Christians now who are going to be left behind, but I don't believe that they're gonna be genuine Christians. I believe that if you are a genuine believer, a real true believer, you are saved, you are born again, your spirit's been brought to life. See, when you're saved, it's not just about having your ticket punched in heaven. It's not just about having your name on some roll somewhere that you're gonna make it into heaven. Something happens inside of you. Bible says, says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. This tells us that there's this transformation that happens, and I am either genuinely saved or not. And I believe that for those that are genuinely saved, they will not be left behind. You say, well, what if they're doing some absolutely horrible, grotesque sin? Well, we'll let God deal with that, right? What an absolute horrible embarrassment that would be if I were, were involved in some great sin when Jesus Christ returns. Therefore, my desire is to walk in a worthy manner because I don't know when he's gonna come back. The parable of the, uh, the parable Looks like that was seen. It looks like there's a little bit of a delay. Uh, the parable of the uh, ten virgins had five of them that didn't have their their stuff ready, and five of them uh, that didn't have lamps trimmed with oil in them, and five that did. 
The five that did were genuinely saved. The five that didn't were not genuinely saved. So I don't believe that there is a partial rapture, meaning that only part of those who go through the church uh, can be saved. Good to see you on here, guys. Daniel, uh, good to see you guys on here. Uh, my uh, things to look a little funky to me. I'm just going to trust and go ahead like they're okay. Um, do I, it looks like I might have a delay. Let's see if the mic delay is still working here. Checking this out a little bit. All right. Still set where it's supposed to be. Um, all right. Good to see you guys. Things look okay. Give me a, give me a thumbs up or, uh, just tell me yes. If, uh, everything looks all right. And, um, if not, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about it. It's good to see you guys here. And uh, we're going to go on to our next question. And that comes to us from John. So John says, all right, John says, uh, I got it on here several times. I definitely got a delay going on in my computer. Um, okay. John says, question, hi, pastor. Uh, my, any advice from someone suffering from chronic pain? I'm talking about when their pain at times is out of control and it blocks all attempts at effective prayer and Bible study. Um, John, I'm, sometimes life hands us things that are really difficult and hard and this would be one of them. To be in such pain that you can't concentrate on the Word of God. And obviously, um, I pray that whoever you're talking about, that the Lord would touch them and heal them and that God would strengthen them and be with them. But God knows our weaknesses. And the Bible says that God is strong out of our weaknesses. And so when we're facing something like this where there's just chronic pain, you do your best. You try to, you try to pray, seek God, keep your heart right with Him, ask Him what there is to show you out of this, ask to be healed. Uh, you do the very best that you can in the situation that you're in, which is really what God would really ask of all of us. And if you can memorize some scriptures and pray and seek God, find some positive things, then people are gonna see the difficulty that you're in, what you're facing and what you're going through, and they're going to realize that God is doing a work, that God's doing something, and you are gonna be a strong witness for him. So yeah, my advice would be do the best you can. Um, if it's blocking your attempts in effective prayer or study, then don't give up praying, don't give up studying, but you gotta, you gotta do the best you can. And I would seek him and step out and give weaknesses to God and see how God is going to use that weakness in order to make it strong. All right, John, thank you very much for that question. I really appreciate it. Uh, we have another question here from Adrian. All right, I've got a, I got quite a delay going on with my. Uh, so Adrian says, uh, "Hi, Pastor Robert. Can you explain ten missing uh, the ten missing tribes, and can you describe what happened to the tribes of Israel in the end times tribulation period, or what happens to the tribes of Israel in the end times tribulation period?" Thank you. And God bless. Yes, I can. So uh, when when um, Joshua established the land and divided the land, he divided it into ten tribes. Actually, there was Ephraim and Manasseh, and the tribe of Dan 
that got a section of land. So there was like 11 tribes. A little bit later on, for reasons I could explain later, Dan is not mentioned uh, tribes in the book of Revelation. And I believe that's correct. Um, so the, there was a civil war in Israel. And two of the tribes, Benjamin and Simeon, I mean, excuse me, Judah and Simeon and a part of Benjamin made up the nation of Judah. And then the southern kingdom of Israel, that's right, the southern kingdom of Israel is made up out of 10 tribes. And the kingdom of Israel, its capital was Samaria. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And the Assyrians came and took 10 of the tribes captive. They took, and they took Israel captive. They took control of uh, Samaria. They put people there who were uh, uh, Assyrians and they intermarried with those who were Jews. And that's why in Jesus' days, they were called Samaritans because they intermarried with those that took it over. It wasn't until a hundred and something years later that Nebuchadnezzar marched on Babylon and took Judah captive. Simeon was assimilated into Judah and took Judah, the nation captive into Babylon. Now, after a while, some from Judah came back into the land. And I can also tell you that people came back into the land from Assyria as well. So people today talk about the 10 lost tribes. No one today, no Jew today, knows what tribe they are a part of. That has been lost throughout time. But in the days of Jesus, they did. Remember, they were dispersed in 70 AD. Remember that Paul is a Benjamite. He knew it. He knew where he was from. We know that, that um, we knew who the priests were. We know that John the Baptist was a Levite. We know that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. See, in Israel, there were people from all of the tribes of Israel. So this idea that there are 10 lost tribes is a misnomer. The, uh, the, the tribes came back lands that they were at and they occupied the land between the time of the Babylonian conquest when they went back into Israel until they were in the land during the days of Jesus and then taken out of the land uh, during the time of, um, of uh, Vespasian, Titus, attacking Israel. And so um, there were people that represented all 12 of the tribes that were there and they weren't lost. Now they're dispersed. They were dispersed in 70 AD and today we don't know who they are. Some talk about DNA matching and being able to find some way to figure out which tribe people are from uh, God knows what people are from and how you attract them. Now in the last days, we know that the uh, Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says that the last days or the last day, the day of the Lord, is a time of Jacob's trouble. So we know that God is testing Israel. It also says in Daniel 9, I think it's verse, oh, Daniel, it says in Daniel 9 that, that God has a set of time that he's going to finish the things with Israel, make it into sin. When, when God wraps up and finishes with the nation of Israel, he also fills up sin, according to Daniel chapter 9. That tells us that God's dealing with Israel in the last days. And then you have the 144,000, each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as I said, I think in Revelation, the, the tribe Dan isn't mentioned uh, in the tribulation period. And so those are the saints you find in the tribulation period, not the church. The church is never mentioned. The church is mentioned in Revelation two and three full times, but after that, it's not mentioned until the end of the book of Revelation after the tribulation period has taken place. Because God's doing two things, judging the wicked that are on the earth 
and reestablishing the nation of Israel once again. So um, I hope that answers your question. Uh, you can follow up with the question if you would like to a little bit more about that. But just let me look at it and see, make sure I, I covered it here. Um, can you explain the 10 missing tribes of Israel? I did that. And can you describe what happens to the tribes of Israel in the end times in the tribulation period? Yeah, when, when Jesus comes, he sends his angels out to the four corners of the earth and gathers the nation of Israel that's been protected through the tribulation period. Doesn't mean none of them died. Doesn't mean none of them were at the hands of the, the Antichrist. But the vast majority of them were saved, saved out of it, as it says in Jeremiah 37, and they were regathered to Jesus on the earth. Matthew 24, 29 through 31 is not the rapture. The rapture is a secret event that takes place in the clouds when the church meets him in the air. That event is a public event. Angels come back and bring it to Jesus while he's here on the earth. All right. So, um, Adrian, I appreciate your question. And let's go ahead and take another one. Uh, so we also have a question here from All Pink. Good to see you. All Pink says, should I, um, should I not say I'm a sinner saved by grace anymore since I was born again, since I'm a born again believer? Is there a huge difference between the two? All right, sinner saved by grace and a born again believer. Uh, all Pink, they are the exact same. We are all sinners saved by grace. And I don't know who would, who would tell you not that. You don't got to worry about saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, I have been saved by Jesus Christ. I still have a sin nature. The Bible says that our flesh drives against the spirit so that, that the, there's a battle within you. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. Oh, wretched man, who is it who will save me? Uh, and then it says, praise be to God. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, John 1, uh, I think it's verse 4, that says, if anyone says they have no sin, they're a liar. So if someone says, I'm not a sinner saved by grace, then I'm, I'm sorry, you're lying. You are a sinner that has been saved by grace. And in order to have that happen, then you have to be born again. So I don't see a problem all pink with saying both of those. Um, uh, I'm glad you're thinking about those, but we don't want to present ourselves in a hypocritical way. We don't want to present ourselves in a way that we are superior or we act superior to other people instead of um, really honestly just saying, you know what, wretched man that I am. God saved me by grace and uh, I'm going to walk in that wonderful grace and loving aspect of God and praise God that I have been born again. I am not the man I used to be. I am someone new. So I believe that all, uh, both of those are absolutely true. All right. And for your question, All Pink, and the Lord bless you, all right, as you, uh, as you endeavor to really, truly walk with him. All right. So we have a question here from Alex. Good to see you, Alex. Alex uh, says, uh, question, Pastor Robert, or hello, Pastor. Uh, I hear you reference the lady caught in adultery, uh, John 8, 2 through 11, quite often. Yes, I do. I know where you're going with this. For I, I hear a lot of scholars believe the passage was added later. What are your thoughts? Um, I do believe that the passage was added in later on to the book of John. And if you have a good study Bible, then as you go through it, you're going to see that it's going to tell you it wasn't in the original or that the best text or the NU text don't have this passage in it. 
However, it doesn't mean that it wasn't original, meaning it didn't happen, it didn't take place. If you go back, as far as you can go back in church history, this passage was accepted early on. And if it was accepted early on by the church, then there's a good possibility, maybe even more better than possibility, that the event happened. And that somewhere along the line, somebody put it into the book of John. Maybe it was in chronological order, maybe it wasn't in chronological order, but there is evidence that it was not in the original book. Um, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. So I choose to believe that it is an event that actually happened, that it is in God's word. And there is some evidence on this. I, I would love to, to take this particular passage and go back and look at the manuscripts and look at the evidence that we have as a, in a Bible study. Just do an entire study on manuscripts and textual criticism on taking this particular passage, John 8, um, 2 through 11, and, and showing how it is that we can either come to the point of saying, I believe that this is, is in, or I believe that it's not. But very astute, Alex, I, I, I really appreciate your thoughts there. Um, you can study it yourself. I can tell you that there are good scholars that absolutely reject the fact that this is scripture. And I can also tell you that there are very good scholars and probably the majority of, the majority of them who say that although this is not original to the book of John, it did originally. There are other passages in the Bible that we know were added in that was not accepted early on in church history that we would reject and say, even though this has a spiritual truth to it, uh, it, is, it was not in the original passages. There are passages that we know there, but I do believe that this event happened and that's why I quote it um, uh, quite often. Uh, it's tremendous and not just because of the story, but because of the, the evidence that this was accepted by the church very, very early on, even though we know it wasn't in the original text in the book of John, all right? And there are other passages that are like that too, by the way, Alex. And I realize that that may bring up a whole bunch of other questions, but I'd love to talk about that. I love textual criticism. I like to talk about how we got the Bible. I, want, I like to really show that we can be confident that God's word is true in Psalms 12, 6, when it says that God's word is like pure gold refined by a fire, he shall preserve it from generation to generation. And I believe that God has preserved it from generation to generation. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. Again, the Lord bless you. Hope you uh, have a great week. All right. And um, we're going to go ahead and take another question here. So we have a question from Shelly. And Shelly says, question, Matthew 21, 44. Can you explain the broken to pieces and grind them to powder. All right, I think I know what passage you're talking about, but let's just go ahead and take time uh, to look that up. So we have Matthew uh, 2144. 21:44. I'm glad I got this working, by the way. I had, uh, none of my scriptural stuff was working, not to my sharing my screen or this, and I was able to get this up and going anyway. So, um, let's see if I make sure I got the right one. Um, oh, 44. All right. So I'm at 24. Hold on. Let me get to 44 here. Thank you, Shelly. I appreciate your question. I'm trying to find the context here. 
Uh, where is the context? The parable of the wicked vine dressers. All right. So um, let me go ahead and bring you in here on this. Or let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. All right. And we'll take a look at it. And, oh, that is not the one that I wanted. But I'm glad to see it's kind of working. Uh, I wanted this one. Hello. There we go. All right. So um, this says, um, For I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to another nation bearing fruits in it. And whoever falls, um, and whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but whom the fall stone falls on, it will be ground to pieces. So Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel standard for God. And upon their rejection of Jesus, the standard was taken from them and given to the church. That's what the parable is all about. That we who are in the church have been given that standard. Now, Romans talks about it and tells us that we shouldn't get haughty because God could graft back in the original vine. And I think that this reference here, it's a great reference. I think the reference to whoever falls on the stone will be broken, it means that I fall upon Christ. That I give myself to him. You seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you save it. And so if I fall upon him, I will be broken and I will lose my life and I will be, I will humble myself before him. But better to fall on the rock and be broken than the rock to fall on you and crush you. And I think he's talking in reference, we could, we could apply this to us, I think, very easily. But I think he's talking in reference to the nation of Israel and how they were crushed by the rock because they would not fall on the rock and be broken. Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he, when he rode in on Palm Sunday because he knew the devastation that would take place from 66 to 70 AD where they would be conquered, the temple would be burned, hundreds of thousands would be killed and taken as slaves. And so that they, they were literally creation. Now God's going to restore them, but they were. And so for us, we learn, hey, you know what? I want to fall on the rock today. I don't want to be rebellious. I don't want to stand on my own. This is a warning to everyone that's out there. Fall on the rock or be broken or the rock will fall upon you. And um, I think that uh, it is an extremely powerful section of Scripture, Shelley. And um, it has a whole lot to say. And what we're, what we're seeing here is, I think, first of all, a reality of what happened to Israel because they rejected Jesus and then an analogy of what's going to happen to us if we reject Jesus. All right. So thank you very much, Shelley. The Lord bless you. Appreciate your uh, appreciate your question. Appreciate you joining us today as we take time to look at the Word of God. Uh, I love the questions today. Uh, the last one too. Good, insightful questions. I really, really, really appreciate it. All right. So. Um, Let's see, it's good to see you guys. I'm just looking for another question here. Again, there's a bit of delay on my computer today, so it may take me a little while to work through here, but that's all right. We'll go with what we've got. Um, so we've got a question from 1777, which says, is the mark of the beast an actual physical mark? I heard a pastor on YouTube say it's not. Well, if a pastor on YouTube says it, then it must be true. I, I laugh because obviously you can find somebody say anything on YouTube, right? You've got to use discernment 
as you are. So much out there you can listen to, and I encourage you to listen to it um, and listen to things that you're interested in and do studies on things you're interested in. But just remember that you've got to come back to the scriptures and examine them yourself. You are still responsible for holding on to the truth. Um, I don't think anyone really knows. That's what I think. Um, I've done some studying on it. Obviously, I've taught through the book of Revelation several times. Um, I've had several messages on the mark of the beast and what the mark of the beast could be. Um, first of all, 666 is number of a man, right? Six is the number of man. 666 is like the ultimate man who ends up rejecting God and being damned and tormented forever. Um, and is the mark, the mark is not 666. I would agree with that. Uh, is the mark a chip put under a hand or on the forehead? Is the mark some kind of a mark? I, I mean, when you, when you think about fascism, totalitarianism, when you think about humans controlling, one human controlling another human, is it so far out there that they would even make you tattoo that you belong to somebody on the back of your hand or your forehead? so that people can see and know that you are part of their group? I don't think it's that far out there. I don't think we're living that, that far away from those days when propaganda is villainizing all kinds of people. It's the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany when propaganda villainized Jewish people. When there were all kinds of, just, just again, all kinds of propaganda and newspapers printed it, which was the social media of their day, and everyone believed it so that when it came to taking their lives, people were more acceptable to do it. That's happening today. I think that there is a, um, a, 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 there are a lot of false accusations that are being accepted about people. And I think all of this is being built and marching towards a one world government and that you would have to show allegiance by having some kind of physical tattoo I wouldn't say would be out of the world. I, I would not want to say be out of it. Um, I can't think of any passage that would say it's not a physical mark. That's why I say, I don't know. Now, again, maybe I would change my mind if you came back with a passage that he said, I was able to look at it and go, huh, I never thought about it in those light, in that light. But I think for the most part, it could be either a chip that could be read easily, or it could be an identification that you belong to the world system that you have pledged allegiance to the world leader in the Antichrist. All right, thank you. One God 777, I appreciate it. Another really good question. If uh, you're joining us and you have a question, we would love to hear from you. All we ask is that you write the word question before it, write it out, reread it a couple of times so that you can see whether or not it really makes sense and then uh, go ahead and submit it, all right? So I'm gonna go ahead and find another one here today. Uh, we have a question from Lynn. Good to see you, Lynn. Thank you for your question. A friend of mine who was pro-choice said, if uh, church preachers pro-life, um, let me just kind of just, okay, a friend of mine who was pro-choice said, if church preachers life that that is a false teaching all right so that if okay i think i'm getting what you're saying here so that if a pastor of a church teaches pro-life that's a false teaching 
your pro-choice friend said that. I totally disagree. I feel that we don't have the right to end a life. She said we are acting like God. Wouldn't talk, take wouldn't taking a life be more like acting like God? Um, Lynn, yes, very much so. Um, one of the biggest ironies is all of the propaganda that said, and it's not like the pro uh, life side doesn't have propaganda because they do. I, I, when I'm having discussions about this issue, I make sure to stay away from propaganda. But someone said to me not that long ago, so it's a woman's body, it's her right to choose. And the real truth of it, of it is, is it's not her body. It's a completely different body that is inside of her. She's involved in this, she's the mother, so she has some say, but does the mother have the right to end that pregnancy on purpose and stop that life that is within her. I don't believe that she does. And I think that, hey, the baby's science is making children more and more viable at a younger and younger age. And if viability is a is an issue of life, you're, you, you, I don't know who wouldn't believe that. I think the vast majority would believe it. A baby that's eight and a half months in the womb, full-grown baby be fine outside, wouldn't have any problems being born. And in some places you can go in and kill that baby and nothing will happen. But if that baby's born and a nurse sneaks into that room and, and stabs that baby or cuts that baby up, which is what happens oftentimes in abortions, then they're fine. I mean, then they'd be arrested and they'd be brought up on charges of murder. There's something in our society that doesn't click by the way. And um, realize every time we talk about abortion, we take a chance that this video will be blocked. But that's all right. Uh, I think that the truth has to be said, the truth has to be known, and we're gonna fall more and more into the category of those that are having our voices silenced. And um, this is the most innocent. Can you imagine? I mean, who, who better to stand up for? than for the unborn that don't have a voice for themselves. And just because it's a law, and it's been a law for a long time, I heard somebody say here recently that there's a 50-year precedent for Roe versus Wade. Okay, so how many year precedent was there for slavery? And yet we realized as a nation that slavery was wrong and we were divided against it. And it's like we're heading down this same line in America where there could be states that make it illegal and states that don't. And who knows if this doesn't end up in some kind of some kind of civil war. I'm not saying like this, just like the old civil war, but some kind of civil war. This is the issue of our day. This is the issue of our day. And um, as believers, we ought to be praying and fasting and calling out to God, um, supporting those who are rescuing babies, and 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 realizing that hey. There, there's no way standing up for life is a false teaching. Uh, your friend that said that is just listen to the propaganda. I'm not saying they're a bad person. I'm just saying they're believing the propaganda. They're believing what they've been, been told rather than thinking it through and realizing that a baby is highly developed early in the stage, that it's not just a bunch of cells. And um, that's why when you go to a... Um, 
uh, to a crisis pregnancy center, like Hands of Hope here in Tucson, um, and they show them ultrasounds of the baby, even at a very young age, they're amazed. And that a lot of times will be all it will take to save that baby because they realize this is, this is human. This is a human that we're taking their lives. And what a horrible, awful tragedy that in our day this is taking place. So I think every pastor should be speaking out about it. I think every pastor should be vocal about this issue. All right. Thanks, Lynn, for your question. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to talk about the unborn and ways that we may be able to rescue them. All right. And um, yeah, good question. All right. So, um, Dale Harrison, good to see you, Dale. Hope things are going well. Dale says, a friend of mine uh, went to a Nazarene church on Oracle and liked it. Okay. She loves Calvary, but she lives in our Valley. Do you know anything about this church? Um, Oracle. Mm, I, I know, I know the pastor of a Nazarene church in Aura Valley. Uh, Oracle's a little further out and I don't know anything about that church, but as far, as far as I know, uh, the Nazarene church is great. Uh, CDO Nazarene is, um, where a friend of mine, uh, pastors, and I know that his church is great. And when people say, I live so far up in the Northwest side of town, which by the, by the way is where I live as well. Um, then, um, uh, where, and I can't make it to church. Do you suggest a church for me up here? Well, one of the churches, I have several of them that I suggest, but one of them is a Nazarene church. Uh, it's um, over on uh, Camino del, I think it's uh, Camino del Estro, I think, where CDO school is. All right, so yeah, I think um, the Nazarene church is a good church. If somebody came to me and said, I'm leaving you know, Calvary and I'm gonna be going to it. And I, when, people, when someone tells me they're leaving and they're staying in town, I always ask them, where are you going? because I want to see them continue on in church. doesn't matter to me if they're with us or not. And um, if they told me that they were going to a Nazarene church, I would encourage them. I would say, all right, good job. Get there, be a part of it. Let God use you there. May God bless you as you are involved in it. All right. So yeah, I think it's, uh, I think they're good churches and I think it would be uh, a good thing uh, for them to get involved in that church and to move. All right. In a powerful way. So thank you. Um, thank you for your question. Uh, Dale. All right. So, um, yeah, you're welcome, Pedro. Good to see you. We have a question here from, I think it's Diana. All right. Diana says, um, I tried to go to church, but very few of my Christian brothers and sisters are wearing masks. So therefore I cannot go to church and have to worship from home. What are your, th um, why are you not wearing masks? All right, Diana, um, unfortunately, this has become much more than just a health issue. This has become a, a political issue. And there are those that want to tell other people what to do. And there are those that have, feel they have the freedom to be able to do what they're doing. And we have been lied to about COVID-19 since the very beginning over and over again. And I think the lies still continue. We're still being lied to about it. We were lied to about it back in March of, of 2020 when it first hit, and we're being lied about it today. So no wonder people don't trust. 
People don't trust what they're being said. Think about masks, Diana. First of all, we said don't wear them. That was the very first thing that came out. Don't wear them, doesn't matter. Don't, don't go up and buy all the masks. Don't, they don't work, don't, don't worry about it. Well, why didn't they just trust the, the American people and say, right now there's a shortage of masks. So we need them for healthcare workers who are exposing themselves. Therefore, don't go buy all the masks up. What? Why couldn't they have said that? But instead they said they don't work. And then all of a sudden they come out and they say that they work. So what are people supposed to believe? They're hearing one thing, then they're hearing another thing. And so when someone now tells them that they have to wear a mask, even if vaccinated, then they say, I'm not wearing the masks. I'm not wearing a mask. So what's right? Do masks, and, and then you, you'll listen to, to doctors who will say, masks are helpful. Other ones who say that they won't. I've got a son that's in the medical field. He says that a, um, an NM95 or KN95 mask is very effective. The other ones aren't. They're barely doing anything. They're stopping droplets, that's it. Which is somebody's making food. I don't want their droplets on my food. Um, and so I don't judge people who are, or not, who are or are not wearing a mask. I don't wear a mask a lot of times. Uh, just because personally, uh, I'm not convicted about it. I don't feel like I'm putting anyone in danger. I still do social distance. I will rarely shake hands. Um, I have been vaccinated. Um, and that, so, so that's, that's, where, that's where I stand on it, Diana. And um, I think had we not been lied to, we would trust a whole lot more. I mean, uh, John McCarthy in a lawsuit because they tried to close down his church. And it, it, was, it was found to be unfair. And, and so many other things that we could talk about. So I'm sorry if this turns into a political thing. I didn't make it a political thing, it is a thing. And I'm sorry that it is, because it really should just be a health issue. And each one of us have to make our own decisions about what's good and what's bad. So I'm glad that you can watch church online. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us, or not, maybe not us, but whatever church you attend pretty soon. All right, Diana, thank you. And uh, sorry if my answer offends you. I'm certainly not answering things to offend people. All right, but I really do want to speak the truth. All right, so uh, Alex has a follow-up question for us. So Alex says, follow-up. Thanks uh, for your answer, I guess. I need to look further into it. I love the story, but I'm a little hesitant to quote it as scripture. I understand that, um, Alex. Um, the same is true with the last section of the book of Mark, right? Um, it was not in the original book. The, I think it ends at verse, uh, I can't remember what verse um, that the actual manuscripts of Mark end at. And then there's additional ending. Again, that section was accepted so early that most scholars believe it is accepted as well. And if you, Alex, came to the point where you said, you know what, I just don't believe that the, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery is actually in the Bible, then that's fine. I mean, we, can, we, can all, we all get to make our decisions about those things. 
Obviously, it doesn't affect your relationship with Christ. The account or story doesn't go against anything that would be biblical about Jesus. So you could say I you know, that we really that we can't find uh, you know with him in other places. You know, with his eating with um, sinners, eating and um, and um, even drinking with tax collectors and sinners, right? So I think it's absolutely fine, Alex, that you would say, um, I don't think that it should be found in scripture. In fact, there are a lot of good Christians that go both ways. So it's not a, it's not a problem. It's not a showstopper. It's not a <gasps> gasp. Oh, I can't believe that you wouldn't think that that should be in scripture. And ni neither do I think it the other way around. I think that the evidence uh, is out there and we just got to go look for it. Sound like the X-Files, right? The evidence is out there. The truth is out there. Uh, we just have to go and look for it. So we have a, a question here from John. John, good to see you. And John says, have you ever heard of self-baptism? Uh, heard it on YouTube. Don't know whether to laugh or cry. Uh, then this speaker lost me when he said, you must be baptized to go to heaven. Okay, so that, that would kind of bring me to the reason why they might have self-baptism. I mean, if you're living in the days of a, of a, pa a pandemic and you can't get to the church or that church doesn't, you know, they say go baptize yourself. Uh, we don't ever obviously ever find it in scripture. Um, we're commanded to go out and baptize. So there should be another person who would baptize. It, it never says that it has to be a pastor that baptizes. So I think it could be another believer that, that does some genuine commitment to Christ. But I don't think self-baptism, if someone says, ah, you know, I was, I, I, I was stranded on an island and there was no one else around and uh, I made a commitment to Christ and I baptized myself because I wanted to be obedient. I would say, good job. I would, I would not have a problem with it. If there were two of them and they both gave their lives to Christ, I would have wanted them to baptize each other, which I think would be absolutely acceptable. Um, as far as baptism making you go to heaven, this is called baptismal regeneration. It is not as part praise God today as it once was. I think because people see it as a work. You know, Bob says we've been saved by grace through faith, not of any works lest any man should boast. So speaking in tongues can't save you, being baptized can't save you, going to church can't save you, joining the church can't save you, taking sacraments can't save you. There's nothing you can do. And I think now the argument, you know, because people come back and go, well, you believe in him, that's a work. Uh, okay, I don't consider that work. When somebody tells me something and I believe it, whew, man, I believe you, but man, I'm exhausted because that was a lot of work. I can't believe how much work it was just to believe you. We obviously know that believing God, trusting him is not a work, but getting baptized to be saved is. And people will add all, all their own little exceptions around it. They don't be deceived and don't let anybody deceive you. And I think you are good for being lost. I don't see the first one self-baptism as bad as the second one, which is an absolute um, heresy and false teaching that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Thief on the cross, right? Now they might say that's an exception and they might go, well, if you have an opportunity to be saved uh, and, and I mean to be baptized and you don't, then you're, oh, go ahead and you can be accepted into heaven. Then you believe it wasn't baptized, could go to heaven. All right, so John, thank you again. Great question and hope you have a great day. All right, hope you're blessed. And uh, let's see, we have a question by Saved uh, by Grace. 
So good to see you, saved by grace. Uh, you have a question? If a believer stops serving God and starts living in, living with their boy or girlfriend or homosexuality, if the rapture comes while they are living in sin, will they be left behind? I love, I love Jess's question, saved by grace, because that's the question that we started this out on, whether or not there's a partial rapture. And let me just cover it quickly again. If you want it more detailed, go back to the beginning. Uh, when this is posted, go back to the beginning of this and you'll get a, a, a more one. Um, so it all depends on whether or not they're genuinely a Christian. If they've been born again, if they've been transformed. Being a Christian is not just about having your ticket for heaven. It's about you being changed and, and, and Jesus living inside of you. And so if Jesus is living inside of you, perhaps you're going to go to heaven. You might be carnal. You might be sinning. When it happens, that's horrible, but you go to heaven. Like those in 1 Corinthians that talk about being saved as those through fire, those that are judged and all of their works are burned up. They've been tar tried by fire and their wood, hay, and stubble, but they are saved as if through fire. So there are going to be those carnal who are going to make it to heaven. There's going to be those who are sinning. Someone's going to be telling a lie when Jesus returns and, and, and be taken up with him. Somebody may be involved in a worse sin that would be so embarrassing and horrible and awful. And that's why I want to make sure that we are ready when he returns. But I don't believe that they will be left behind if they are genuinely a Christian. If they're not, and a lot of, a lot of people who are living, um, and, and, and let me just not say living with their boy or girlfriend, but living and in sin, sexual sin with them. All right, obviously, uh, we want to avoid even the appearance of evil. I don't think that a, a Christian should be living with anyone. It's possible they could be living together and not involved sexually. I think a very, very small possibility. If you're attracted to somebody, it'd be very hard to live in the same house and not be involved sexually with them. So, um, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, you can go back and I deal with it more in the very beginning of uh, this Q&A. All right, but thank you for your question. It's a good question. I, I appreciate it. So, um, Golden Truth has a question. Golden Truth, good to see you. Golden Truth says, uh, Pastor, could the mark of the beast be the vaccine? Or could the vaccine be the precursor? But the vaccine, but, uh, but the vaccine people are losing things unless they get it like their job. Okay, yes. Um, here in Tucson, the mayor said that the firemen, the policemen, people working for the city had to get the vaccine or they would stop. And um, as far as I understand, that's been deemed by the Arizona Attorney General as being unconstitutional and had to be set aside by the city of Tucson, that they could not do that. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen other places and it seems to be trying to be happen all over the place. And why people are so keen on getting other people to take, why people are so, um, what's the right word? Why are, why are people so um, angry, forceful, shaming, um, extreme about people getting the vaccination? There are, there, education would be a far better way in my opinion and encouraging education. You know, 
someone who's a genuine doctor talking about the facts, about how, how effective the vaccine is, uh, what percentage of breakthroughs there are, braces there are, how many people die when they get the vaccine, and be honest, just honest, honest education. I think that if they did this throughout Latino um, communities, there'd be a lot more who would be vaccinated. I think like 18% of Latinos have been vaccinated. I think less than that in the black community have been vaccinated. And I think it's because they've identified, they've been lied to so often and they just don't trust. And it's interesting to me that the that a lot of progressives act like it's conservatives that aren't getting vaccinated and it may be yes i i, I agree with you that maybe more conservatives haven't been vaccinated over progressives I, I wonder if trump would have won the election if that would be flipped if there would be more conservatives getting vaccinated than than uh than progressives but it's not the vast majority of people aren't getting vaccinated and i think that's really important to talk about so um I, I think that if they, they came at it a different way, they could get a lot more people to respond to the vaccination. If they just did some honest education, put out the paperwork for it, stop lying to people so people don't know what to trust, and then you wouldn't have threatened people. You either take the vaccine or lose your job, which is incredibly extreme and treads on people's freedom and should never be done. And this is coming from someone who's been vaccinated. I've been vaccinated, but I don't think that should ever be done. Um, they're, they're, they're calling those people that don't get vaccinated killers, but they're trying to do that just to those who are conservatives. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't wash, doesn't make sense. If we go back and you go back and look at the numbers. Um, so that's the second part of your question. The first part of your question, could it be the mark of the beast? Could a vaccine someday be the mark of the beast? Maybe, you know, there's some horrible pandemic, maybe even COVID, you know, who knows? Who knows where this thing will mutate to and where it will be, right? Um, and maybe it's like you, you you give your allegiance to the, you know, leader and take this vaccine or you won't be able to buy or sell. That could be connected with cryptocurrency to where it's programmable money so they can just unprogram your money so you can't use it anymore. They just can't shut down your bank account and you still have cash but everything be running by cryptocurrency. And so they can make it so you can't buy and sell anymore. So it could be. So when you say, could the mark of the beast be the vaccine could end up being, it is not now because you're not going to take the, the mark of the beast by accident. You're not going to go, Oh, I ended up vaccinated and now I've taken the mark of the beast. I'm lost. I'm damned forever. All right. So golden truth. I appreciate your question there. And I got a little political. I understand. But um, hey, we live in a world where there is politics and uh, from time to time, I think it's appropriate uh, to be able to talk to it, especially in an area that shouldn't be political. When it comes to like, health, it should not be politicized. And this is definitely a public health issue. All right. Thank you, Golden Truth. I appreciate that. We have a few more minutes here. Good to see you guys that are joining us. Annika has a question for us. Good to see Annika. Um, can you explain Saul uh, prophesying in 1 Samuel 19 through 4? All right, if I remember correctly, um, Saul is traveling. He enters into a group of prophets and the Lord falls upon him and he prophesies. Remember that Saul was chosen by God 
Saul had at least the look of, of humility in the beginning, uh, and God put him up as king, and he is among the prophets. There was that saying, right, that goes with that passage, that Saul is among the prophets, and, and I believe he had the Holy Spirit. I believe that God chose him, he had the Holy Spirit, and then he decided that he didn't want to follow, serve God at all. And he got to the point where God wouldn't even talk to him. And so that's pretty severe. That you could have someone who at one point seems humble, is even you know, filled with the Spirit and can prophesy, and then later on God will not even talk to him. So there's a lot of lessons uh, that we can learn from Saul. And um, I hope that answers Annika. Um, it's a good section. Uh, we have, it's been five or six years now since we've done our study on the life of Saul. But we do have a study on calvarytucson.com and on um, our Calvary Tucson app. You can just search Calvary Tucson or Robert and you can find our app and then go to um, 2 Samuel and, yeah, 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, one of the Samuels and look for the life of Saul. All right. Uh, all right. My memory. All right. Uh, all right. Good question. And good to see you, Annika. I uh, hope you are, have a blessed day. And we have just a few more minutes here. Let's see if we can get a couple more questions in. All right. My computer's working a little slow. So it's taking me a while to scroll through here. And I'm just going to go ahead and continue until I get to a question or the end of the scroll. And then we'll be done. All right. All right. So... Uh, if you have a question, you can write down question and then write your question. Like I said, this is working very slowly for me. So I'm just scrolling through them here uh, with you guys. And uh, no, I haven't gotten to the end yet. All right. So uh, we may be done. Maybe not. All right, here's a question. Um, so we have a question from Linda. Linda says, <sighs> Linda, uh, question. Thank you for doing this Q&A time. You're welcome. I'm really loving it and I'm loving the interaction and being able to really connect where people are living at and what kind of questions they have. Um, I plan on continuing it for this foreseeable future. Um, I, am, I have been a Christian for a long time. I have always struggled with why do I or mankind have to pay the consequences of Adam and Eve? Maybe I wouldn't have sinned if it was me in the garden. It doesn't seem fair. Thank you, Pastor Robert. Thank you, Linda, for your question. Um, yeah, I, I say, and remember, Eve was deceived and Adam did it deliberately. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying it's probably to deceive than it is to do it openly and rebelliously. And Linda, I say, when we get to heaven, let's just all just go and, 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 and yell at and jeer and mock Adam for what he did. I mean, he dragged us all into this thing. I think we should go get him when we get up into heaven. And of course I jest. Uh, I, I think we all would have made the same choice. I don't know that for sure, but I think we would have. God knew what Adam and Eve would do. And, and so God created them knowing the world that would be made. And God wanted to create a world where Men had a choice whether or not to serve God, follow him, or, or serve the world. God wanted to be their choice, a world where there was suffering, because God has a plan and a purpose in suffering. 
So I think that the world that we live in is the world that God wanted there to be. And by giving man a free choice, remember God gave angels a free choice and angels were exposed to glory and a third of them fell. We're, we're living on an earth where we're not exposed to glory, but we can come to Christ and few there are that find it. And so I, um, I think it's a human condition and I think the world became the world that God wanted it to be so that people could make their own decisions about whether or not to love him. If you were to love God, then that would be a robotic thing. You can't be, you shouldn't be forced to love anybody. God will never force anybody to love them. And there, there has to be a very real world. And God chose to have suffering. Jesus is the great example of how God uses suffering. God uses difficulty and suffering in our lives to do good things. Do I, I personally wish there was a world without suffering? Yes. Did God make a world with suffering and then, and then come down and experience it with us? Yes, he did. So I understand your struggle. Um, but I think had I been there, I'd have made the same choice. And I think had you been there, you would have made the same choice, at least eventually. It might not have played out the same way, but I think it would have played out. It would have looked different, but I think it would have played out. And um, even if that's not true, we live in the world where we live. And we live in the world God created with the circumstances that God created. He has revealed who he is. He has sent his son to us. And so we have that responsibility. All right. Linda, thank you very much. Uh, I have just one more minute, so let me just scroll down here a little bit, see if I can find another question. If not, then this will be it. It's been really good to be with you guys. Uh, again, just really strong questions uh, that are very, very um, important for us to be looking at these things. It's good to see all of you guys. I uh, love the community that is built here. Um, I hope that we all are loving and kind towards one another and are looking uh, to be able to help each other out. All right, so I'm kind of scrolling down here and I don't see any more, but I haven't come to the end yet. Uh, had a, a problem with my computer today for whatever reason. And uh, so um, I got on a little late and it's taken me a little longer to get in between questions. So I'm gonna go ahead and call it a day. If you want to go ahead and still write your question down, please do. I'll have the log sent to me. And um, once I close this down, um, then I'll have it sent to me and I'll be able to look at them for future Q&As. It's uh, good to see you guys. I hope this video came out okay. It's still very jerky on my computer. So if it's jerky out there or not, but we'll see whether or not we keep it online. Um, but God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Keep thinking. Keep asking questions. Keep searching for the truth. Look into the word of God for it. Be willing to examine yourself because we don't know what we don't know about ourselves. Ask God to search us, try us, know us. Um, and if there's any wickedness in us, lead us in the way everlasting. God bless you guys. We're going to have a service in a couple of hours. Uh, in our service today, we're going to be talking about suffering and uh, affliction, uh, temptations, and how we can be strong in the midst of difficulty. And some of you, we, we had some of those questions today. Uh, some about one about chronic pain that was so bad and I can't really focus in on a relationship with God and uh, we're going to be talking about that again tonight uh, as we look at the church of Thessalonica that was under great persecution and yet they were able to stay strong in their faith and I believe they become an example to us that no matter what we face or go through we are to stay in faith all right so it's good to see you guys love you hope things are going really well for you hope they continue to um, I will, I'm going to sign out now. 
I will see you guys on our Saturday Q&A. Uh, I'm gonna, I might not be able to sign out. All right, I'm gonna try it again. I'm gonna sign out now. There we go.